Alhamdulillah, we come into the completion of the Quran, inshallah, tomorrow night. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala accept. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala reward the two Hafizain for their recitation and their Allah bless their parents and everybody else who were involved in their hives. We had Mashallah, a treat this year in Witter where Hafiz Omar would you know, throw in different Qirat hmm, just to show that Dar Qasim has Qurra who can read in various Qirat as you know there are seven that are Mutawatir conclusive and uh, there are three more that we add on, so there are ten basically. Mm. So usually the the, the um, rule in reciting in a different qirat is that throughout the salat you have to stick to the same qirat. You cannot jump from one qirat like warsh into another qirat like what we usually read, hafs. So you have to maintain the consistency and the coherence in the qirat. You can't jump from one to another. It just shows how the fuqaha understood the consistency of the Qur'an so that you remain on the same page throughout that one recitation. Just for Information, mashallah, uh, there are two types of rules in Qirat. Uh, one is the rules of Qirat and Tajweed, uh, which only the Qur'an know. And the other are the rules of uh, Qirat in Fiqh, which are slightly different from the rules of Qirat. So uh, there are two different languages, two different terminologies, and so on. So uh, that is how the recitation uh, is done when Umar saw Ubay bin Kaab come to the masjid when he was the Khalifa and started to lead people in Tarawih in the masjid again. Ubay uh, was one of the great Qurras of this Ummah. Who were the Qurras of this Ummah? It's Abdullah ibn Mas'ud radiyallahu Zayd bin Thabit radiyallahu who actually listened to the Quran of the Prophet sallallahu in Ramadan twice so he was the Prophet's listener Zayd bin Thabit and he is also the scribe of the Quran during the time of Abu Bakr and then again in the time of Uthman and then there is Ubay bin Kaab these were the three prominent ones and the others like Ali and others were also there so that is Umar announced once that anybody wants to learn how to read and recite the Quran they must go to Ubay bin Kaab 
and if anyone wants to learn and understand inheritance, they must go to Zayd bin Thabit. So it was very clear that by the time of Umar, the Muslim ulama fuqaha uh, had developed specialties in knowledge. It was not just one bulk, there were specializations where Umar also said if anybody wants to learn about halal and haram, they must go to Ma'ad bin Jabal. So why didn't they say go to Ali, go to Uthman, go to this one, go to that one? Because it was already a specialized field. Okay, so that was the intent of the Prophet that he developed the Sahaba with special skills and special, you know, the sub-specialties. So it was all organized and it was all professional, if you want to use that new word, professionalism. Some of them did get paid, so yeah, you can say they were professional. But it was, you know, this one is the man for the job. Well, I know the Quran, I'm a Muslim. I can do it. No, you can't. This one's trained for it. Yeah. So Omar didn't say that if you want to know about halal and haram, you must go to Ali or you must go to Ibn Masud because they're a great fuqaha. Ali is the greatest qadi ever, the greatest judge according to the Prophet So why wasn't he assigned the task? Because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala through the Prophet endowed Ma'ad with a special skill to understand halal and haram. So Umar said, go to him. So likewise in Qiraat, uh, Umar radiallahu said, you must go to Ubay bin Ka'b. Hmm? Ubay bin Ka'b, one of the greatest qaris of this Ummah. And he led people. In Ramadan, as you know, the Prophet came out three days in the Ramadan led the Jamaat for three nights and then the fourth day many many more people flocked to the Masjid and they waited and waited and waited the Prophet didn't come out he finally emerged and said I won't lead you now because I fear you'll make this into an obligation because the the the, uh, the hirs of the Sahaba for Ibadah mm. you understand the hirs? The zeal and the love, it actually means greed. The love of the Sahaba for Ibadah was so great that they would have done any obligation. But the Prophet feared that you'll do it, but the Ummah that follows you, they may not be as zealous as you are, which is what happens. Now we become so pathetic that we do eight instead of twenty. That's how pathetic the Ummah has become. So the Prophet insight in the Ummah that if you make an obligation, it's going the other way, obviously. We're not making an obligation, it's going the other way. This is reverse gear. But anyway, so it, it was because of the love of the Sahaba for Ibadah that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave us Laylatul Qadr. Allah gave us all Laylatul Qadr this year and every other year, inshallah. So the Prophet was discussing the lives of the Banu Israel. And he mentioned they had long lives. They would 
worship Allah for 200 years, 250 years, and so on. So the Sahaba listening to this story, they're not asking the scientific question, how did you live for 200 years? I mean, the perverted mind, okay, that, you know, modern day existence brings you that you have such a perverted, critical misunderstanding of Islam is that that's the only thing you think about. 200 years, who lives for 200 years? How can you live for 200 years? Which would be a normal reaction in the USA. How do you live for 20 years? Give me the formula to live 200 years. Something like that. I mean, there's a group of people on the planet who would want to live for a thousand years. We know who they are. But the Sahaba's interest was the ibadah. They said, Ya Rasulullah, if they're going to be worshipping Allah for 200 years, and you've already told us that the average age of your ummah is between 60 and 70, then we will be far behind in ibadah. And they only thought that way. They thought towards the akhirah. I mean, they totally extracted themselves from the dunya and said, wait a minute, we'll be far behind. We then will not be the best ummah. We won't be in the forefront on the day of judgment in front of Allah. So these people will be worshipping Allah for 200 years, 250 years, 300 years, and we'll be stuck there worshipping Allah maybe for 30, 40 years. Because the first 15 years of our life, okay, they're lost. And 15 years of our life, we sleep. Right? So that's 30 years. So barely 30, 40 years we'll be making ibadah, if that. So the Prophet asked him to wait. And he felt the concern of the Sahaba. So then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed Surah Al-Qadr. And he said, my Sahaba, you don't have to worry. Why? Because if you catch one night, it'll be like worshipping Allah for a thousand years. A thousand months which is 84 years plus. And if you get it for 10 years, that's 840. And if you get it more than that, that'll be a century. A million, million, a thousand. Yeah. So you'll be worshipping Allah for a thousand years, inshallah. So that's how this ummah was given Laylatul Qadr because of the zeal of the Sahaba to worship Allah. So Laylatul Qadr is a gift from the Sahaba to us. Now they're they're there now. They're worshipping Allah. They want to do tarawih. They want to go to the masjid, they want to pray, and they want to they do twenty rakats. That night, Ubay bin Kaab, he did twenty rakats. Nobody objected. Neither Umar. Umar he didn't object. Okay, fine, this is good. So then he, he stood there and he, he, he claimed, Ni'matul bid'ah to hadihi. Such a good bid'ah, this is this is a good bid'ah. But what was the bid'ah? Praying in Jamaat in Ramadan in Nawafil had already been established by the Prophet. He didn't make it haram on them. He just said, I fear that you know this will become an obligation on you. He didn't say it's haram. So that was already now the precedent. So the Sahaba just continued the tradition. So that the bid'ah was not to pray in Tarawi in Jamaat in 20 rakah. That was not the bid'ah, that was already established. What was the idea is that Ubay recited in one Qirat 
throughout the 20. Because during the time of the Prophet and Abu Bakr and Umar, you had various dialects of the Quran. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the Prophet asked Allah, there, there are so many tribes here in the Jazeera, in the peninsula. And each tribe has a slightly different nuanced dialect. So if you want Banu Hudayl and Banu Salim and Banu Ghifar. Mm. So if you have a different tribe, you had a different dialect in the way you pronounce the letters and the words. So the Prophet asked him seeing this. And he knew the only way to unite this Arab Ummah was if they owned the language of the Quran. So the Prophet is a genius. Hmm? The Prophet thinks like what, what does he think? He thinks about uniting. He doesn't think about dividing. He said, Look, Ya Allah, if I continue to recite in my dialect, which is the best dialect, undoubtedly the Quraysh dialect is the best dialect. And that's the dialect we're reciting now. So the Prophet said to Allah, Ya Allah, allow me to recite in all the dialects of the tribes so that each tribe can own the language of the Quran and feel honored that they're reciting the Quran in their dialect. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave him permission. This shows what? that the Prophet's knowledge of the Arabic language and the dialect was phenomenal. Phenomenal. To any person who accepted Islam and wanted to recite the Quran, they were allowed to recite in their dialect so it would be easy for them to recite and do their salat and do their ibadat. So this is how the Prophet united all the tribes. Wahda. This is unity. Later on, during the time of Uthman, there were concerns from the Sahaba, like Hudayfa. You know who Hudayfa is? Hudayfa is Sahib Sirri Rasulullah. He is the confidant of the Prophet. The Prophet gave Hudayfa certain knowledge of things that he did not give Umar. That's what they found. Meaning, again, the specialization, the Prophet them gearing, training, disciplining each Sahabi for a task, for a role. So Hudayfa had a task. So Hudayfa could see things that other people could not see. And he had a list of all the munafiqun of this ummah. Hudayfa came to Uthman and said, I, I fear that uh, this is going to become chaotic and confusing. Because many non-Arabs are coming into Islam and they simply don't know any language, they don't know any dialect, so it will be confusing. So when Islam spreads outside of Arabia, what's going to happen? Which it did, it was already spreading. And they had heard people, non-Arabs, reciting the Quran and they would correct them mistakes. And the correction was based on the lack of knowledge of the Arabic language and the dialects. So Hudayfa gave mashwara to Uthman and said, I think you should now standardize the dialect of the Quran. There is no fear in the Ummah that people will not respect the Lugha of the Quraysh 
In fact, everybody will be honored that we are now reciting in the dialect of the Prophet ﷺ, the most pristine dialect, and they will not make a fuss. So that fear has gone of uniting the Arabs. Uthman concurred, this is good. So then he assigned Zayd bin Thabit, as I mentioned, to the task of standardizing the Mus'haf in one dialect, the dialect of the Quraysh, and then he then copied the one copy that Zayd had, Uthman had, and he made six of the copies and he distributed them throughout the Ummah and told everybody to now rearrange and rewrite their Mus'haf according to this Mus'haf, the standard Uthmani Mus'haf. That's what's called Uthmani, meaning it was done by Uthman anhu with committee. So now, when Ubay anhu now recited the Qur'an, the whole Qur'an in one dialect, in one law, Umar said, Ni'matul bid'atu hadhi. This is truly a great bid'ah. This is a good thing because we're still uniting the Ummah and getting, getting our ibadat done and so on. This is the story of Tarawi. The story of Tarawi is based on the Qirat, not on 20 rakats. You understand? The story of Tarawi is based on what our MashaAllah Kharizam does. He did the Tarawi one Qirat, which is good. The Witter he did in other Qirat. So you must understand how these things take place and what is the history, and what are the applications, and what are the repercussions of number one, a lack of knowledge, and number two, distorted knowledge. There are two problems, two diseases. One is jahal, which is ignorance, and the other is misguided understanding, known as, what's it called? Hmm? Tahrif known as distortion. Both are diseases. So distorted knowledge and the lack of knowledge are something that we hope to address here inshallah through Allah's fadl at Dar al-Qasim. Okay. So this is just because this was not a scheduled talk by the way. There was one guy who came in unannounced. He wasn't supposed to be here. So we welcome the unannounced Tariq. Tariq Khair. You know Tariq Khair? someone who knocks on your door at night. So there can only be two people. One is a thief, and the other is a person who gives you good news. So illa tariq khair, we say, except for the tariq, the one who knocks at night, inshallah. So with this in mind, inshallah, hopefully tomorrow we'll meet, and we'll, inshallah, complete and conclude, inshallah, the recitation of the Quran. And so, but there will be no talk tomorrow. You're still welcome to come for the khatam, inshallah, and go with your mitai, whatever it is, inshallah. Jazakumullah khair. Subhanallah wa hamdihi. Subhanakumullah wa hamdika. Nashadu an la ilaha illa andana astaghfiru wa natubu ilayk. Subhanallah rabbika rabbil izzati amma yisifun. Wassalamun ala al-mursaleen. Walhamdulillah.